Hello and welcome to the Three Will Podcast. This is your host Danny Ryan and today I have Bob Morris here with me. And Bob's, what's your official title, Bob? Give it to me. Uh, Principal Scrum Master. Principal Scrum Master. I salute you, Principal Scrum Master. <laughs> it's very commanding. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I know this conversation, well, I guess it's, it's important to this conversation because we're going to talk about using Scrum and a low friction requirements with using Scrum. So uh, why don't we just get this whole thing kicked off with, you know, why should we talk about Scrum and requirements? Well, you know, requirements for, for any kind of uh, a project or the types of projects that we get involved in is sort of the fuel that drives, um, you know, not just the, the delivery process for us, but also the sales process. And, you know, Scrum, you know, nowadays is a pretty broadly accepted uh, approach. And so there are some, you know, there's some confusion out there about, uh, you know, how we do requirements in a Scrum process. Um, and maybe confusion about some of the artifacts people might be familiar with with other project approaches and they get those confused with what we do in Scrum. And then there's some misconceptions here that I think it's worthwhile uh, mentioning. Um, I think two of the common ones are that there, there is no documentation in Scrum, uh, including for requirements, or sometimes uh, you know Scrum teams end up kind of wandering in the woods when it comes to requirements and completing a project. And then you know, as the title suggests, uh, you know, really want to explain to people why we think of uh, this approach as a low friction approach for uh, for getting requirements. So, what what do you mean by by low friction? Well, what we're talking about there is essentially adopting you know an approach, a set of processes that um, hopefully speed up the process of gathering requirements, uh, and we do that mainly through trying to minimize impediments that typically get in the way or, or delay you know getting those requirements uh, and we also try and really focus on steps in a process that add value uh, to the customer and to getting those requirements and try and minimize those things that, that don't really add the value that we need um, in trying to get those requirements so where do we start well, um, you know, it's like a lot of things uh, related to agile uh, types of uh, project approaches. It goes back to, you know, the core principles and values um, from agile. And, and all of these things are geared towards, you know, trying to be able to support rapid and flexible reactions to changes in a project. Um, and really, the, I think the ones that apply most to the, the process of, of getting requirements are um, at first I would say eliminating waste um, and in requirements there potentially is a lot of that particularly with you know detailed specifications that get um, you know created early in a project before we really have a great understanding of what exactly it is that we're, we're implementing uh, and those things end up getting thrown away uh, and, and rewritten. The other, the other thing I think that's core to this is understanding that we want efficient communications. Uh, you know, the Scrum process that we use is heavily focused on conversations as a primary communication mechanism as opposed to the written word um, and uh, also interactions, you know, direct interactions with our stakeholders. Um, that's a very, you know, low, you know, low uh, effort type of way to communicate and we really focus on that. There's a thing, a term called progressive elaboration. Um, and it's just a fancy way of saying that, 
you know, you start simple and then you gradually refine and add more detail to something. And, and requirements are an excellent example of how we, we use that uh, in practice. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece is, you know, we're always trying to improve, refine, and, and seek clarity with these requirements. We don't expect them to be perfect up front and they don't need to be. Uh, basically, the trick is having just enough detail to support the stage of the project that we're at. So, you know, those, those um, principles and values, that's, that's kind of uh, the, the bedrock that we base all this on. And I guess the fundamental building block to answer your question about starting is, uh, is what we call a, a user story. Uh, for, for listeners that are not familiar with that term, what, what is a user story? So um, basically, a user story is, uh, I guess, it, in its simplest form, it's, it's a placeholder for a specific user need. And, um, you know, I, I, I talked about, you know, the, the principle of progressive elaboration, starting simple, adding more detail. And at the beginning, you know, user story is just a single high-level statement, usually very high-level, that summarizes, um, you know, the who, the what, and the why of a particular need that, that a stakeholder has. And they're, they're very simple, written in you know, first-person form from a user's perspective, so they're very approachable, easy to understand. And, and basically, you know, we call it a placeholder because it, it's the basis of ongoing conversations that are going to occur about that user story or that need throughout the life cycle of the project, both you know, during the sales process for us and after the sales when we go through uh, implementation. Um, each of these conversations that we have through all throughout that process, as I mentioned before, we're, we're just trying to get enough information to support uh, the information we need for that particular project stage. So that's uh, that, that's kind of in a nutshell what it is. Um, give me, can, do you mind just going off script a little bit? Do you mind just uh, giving me an example of like what what is a, what would be a user story like a real user story that you would say? Yeah, um, you know, there, there are people that are maybe a little too dogmatic about, um, you know, kind of how you format a user story. Uh-huh. I, I think the most common method to do this is, you know, I mentioned the, the who, what, and the why. Mm-hmm. It's to have, um, you know, little cues that you use in every story. So as a who, so it's a role, mm-hmm. you know, as a uh, website user, mm-hmm. and then the what, uh, I would like to. Well, what is it that you want to do? What is this need that you would like to do? I would like to be able to submit my credit card information. Mm-hmm. And then the why. Well, well, why are you doing that? So that I can pay for my order with you know, a credit card as opposed to some other method. And that's Correct. the value. That's the why. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, so if you're continuing to add detail after the start of the project... How do you define the overall scope and schedule and costs for a project as part of the sales process? Yeah, it it, it seems a little counterintuitive yeah. because people, I think, are used to, um, you know, uh, trying to collect uh, a lot of detailed information uh, to use as the basis for for you know a sales proposal. And for us, again, I go back to this idea of just enough information at each stage and. You know, in a sales process, usually the, the thing we're heading towards is a statement of work. And so at that point, you know, we will develop user stories. Uh, but at that point, it may only consist of the summary statement and usually something we call uh, acceptance criteria or conditions of success for that user story. 
So that gives us enough information that we can, you know, track that as one of the components of the SOW and to estimate the amount of effort that it, it will take. Um, you know, later after we, you know, we've done the, the sales process and we've done an SOW, you know, we might add more detailed descriptions, uh, could even attach test case documents, design documents, or, or other supporting artifacts. So there, there are documents involved, but we only do it at the point in time where we feel like we have enough knowledge to fulfill the need for the information. Um, you know, something else that happens n not really as part of the sales process because we're after an initial set of user stories, but, um, you know, we will, we will split a user story into multiple user stories so we get into more detail. And again, that's that, that concept of progressive elaboration. The bottom line here is for, for an SOW or sales process, we take the initial version of these uh, user stories and combined, we think of them as a product backlog. And probably a lot of people listening are already familiar with that concept. Um, and we take this product backlog, uh, which basically contains, it's a summary of the prioritized scope of the project. Uh, it allows us to produce an overall level of effort estimate for the project. And it allows us to take um, you know, that information and put it into kind of one final piece of this, which is what we call release planning. And what release planning is, is it's just a high-level definition of uh, what is the schedule, how will that scope be delivered uh, according to what time frame. And once we have all those pieces, that's enough for us to generate an initial uh, statement of work for a customer. And oftentimes, you know, that ends up being kind of like a laundry list. So we have a pretty flexible process where you know we can go back to customers with a quote and that quote can actually be tailored after their initial review based on their needs maybe they have a particular schedule need or a budget need hmm. so that's how we do that are there what are the inputs from uh, into this process you expect from customers well, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, rapid and flexible are the keywords here, and so we're we're flexible. There's a pretty wide spectrum of what we would get, and sometimes it's sort of proportional to the size of the project that's being considered. Um, I think we, you know, we also we always welcome um, a few things like a, you know some concise initiation documents. Now, this usually would be a business case or a product vision. Uh, either written or even just described to us. Um, and when I say business case, I mean information about you know the why of a project. Sometimes it might even include the, the anticipated benefits or return on investment. And a vision is just explains how those benefits would be delivered by the product or the project that we're working on. So those are all nice to haves, but we're flexible with this process. And if we don't have those, we can actually just go through a series of interviews and get the information that we need. So why do we consider this a low friction approach? Yeah, I mentioned earlier that, um, you know, it has to do with removing impediments, focusing on the pieces of a process that actually add value to what you're, you're aiming at. And really the way this process is low friction kind of breaks down into those areas again that I mentioned for core principles and values. So, you know, mentioned before about reducing waste. You know, having this concept of uh, progressive elaboration means we're trying to reduce throwaway documents. Uh, you know, people are very familiar 
with you know being in a situation where a lot of very detailed documents are generated at the beginning of a project only to have to go through multiple revisions before you get to the end of the project. Um, so that's one area of waste that we try and eliminate. Uh, the other thing is that we, you know, we have detailed design and test cases for user stories that, uh, that may change. So if we try and, and develop all that stuff up front as part of a, you know, a robust, robust set of documents, mm -hmm. we may have to rewrite those as well, um, you know, either due to market conditions or priorities that change with a customer. Um, the second area is uh, for low friction is, you know, again, in communications. I mentioned user stories. We try and make them clear, easy to understand, um, written from the perspective of a user. We try and promote conversations as opposed to exchanging a lot of documentation back and forth. And, um, you know, we will capture the details uh, when we need them uh, as we go through the project, but, but not before. Um, and then the, the last piece about, you know, continually refining and improving the requirements, um, that's, that's something that is just built into this process. And just to give you an example, um, you know, we start out, we'll actually do a high-level release plan that I described earlier during the sales process. So it's an excellent springboard for the project. Then when we start a project, typically it's, it's during the first iteration or something we call Sprint Zero. We'll refine those requirements again during that iteration and review them with uh, a customer. And then as we go through the project, as the team learns more, as the, the person or people on the customer side that are making decisions on priorities and the content of what we implement uh, get better, uh, we'll refine these requirements even further. Now, before we wrap up, um, let's address a couple of the initial points that you mentioned. Uh, first, you mentioned confusion on Scrum requirements compared to other project approaches. Yeah, there's some terminology out there that um, typically we'll, we'll hear people maybe misuse the term or get confused between, you know, artifacts and other types of project approaches and, and what we're doing in Scrum. And I think that the two most common areas uh, has to do with something that people will call requirement specifications or detailed requirement specifications. And usually what they're referring to, um, and, and this is a very typical of a project in a lot of you know, large enterprises, uh, there'll be uh, a requirement for a very large and detailed document that lists requirements in very minute detail. A lot of times people call this a system shall document. It, it's literally um, a kind of a compendium of statements that all begin with the system shall. You know, the system shall use a certain version of Java or the system shall provide the following options, um, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And while we are interested in that information, we're only interested in it at the time it's needed. So we might need to go to that detail for a particular testing of a feature. And we may have some of that information show up as acceptance criteria, but we don't write a detailed requirement specification at the beginning of a project. So that, that's the one area. The second area is something called use cases. It's something that's been around for quite a while and it, it even sounds a little bit like user stories, but use cases and user stories are definitely two different things. The, the use cases, uh, have been used in other project approaches. It basically describes interaction scenarios between an, an actor or a user and a system. 
and it covers you know multiple scenarios usually there's a happy path scenario which is the desired behavior alternative scenarios when something goes wrong and it and it'll cover multiple features that are needed for example in a particular product so in general use cases are a lot broader than a typical user story is and generally they're they're fixed at the beginning of a project and they're signed off and again with user stories we're focusing on keeping things simple and to use the term agile that can be updated and refined as we go through the project so quite a different from use cases you're bringing back some memories i remember writing use cases and exception cases and rup remember that acronym yes yes we used yeah. rup fairly uh, at a, extreme logic which was with the company that tommy and i worked at before this and then we um had a variant of it that was our own at PricewaterhouseCoopers. So yes, a lot of this, you're bringing back some use case memories. <laughs> I'm not going to say they're all pleasant, but it definitely came came up. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, not I, alone. Not, not alone. <laughs> You've been through that as well. Yes. Yeah. You 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 also mentioned dispelling misconceptions about no documentation and wandering in the woods. What do, what did you mean by that? Yeah. There's um, again. People, uh, you know, a set of, of values and principles that are kind of part of uh, core agile. People, people will take those very literally. There's one in there that talks about valuing working software over comprehensive documentation. And mm -hmm. it doesn't say no documentation. It, right. it just says you really want to focus on the thing that's adding value, which is working software. So we, we do have documentation. We talked about user stories. We talked about adding progressively information at the level of required. We talked about being flexible and being able to add, if we need detailed test case documents, if we need detailed design documents, we'll do that and attach them to the user stories as we proceed. But we don't necessarily just spend a lot of time up front trying to, to generate those things. So um, in general, at the end of, of one of our Scrum projects, yeah, I, I think the level of documentation will be less than other project approaches like a waterfall project approach, but that doesn't mean there isn't any. Yep. This last thing, wandering in the woods, this, this was, is really important because um, even though uh, you know Agile and Scrum are, are pretty mainstream nowadays, there's still a preconception from some people that that really it's it's a too loose of an approach to trying to accomplish a project where you're signing a contract or a statement of work. You know, they think that, that basically there's no clear completion date, cost, or scope. You're asking, you know, stakeholders to just fund a project while the team goes through a journey of discovery trying to figure out, you know, how long it's going to take to do something or, or how much it's going to cost. That's, that's the term wandering in the woods, searching for project completion. And Scrum projects definitely have a defined schedule, scope, and cost that are, you know, clearly stated in some of the, the contract documents that we typically have. <laughs> Um, and we have an initial product and a backlog and a release plan, as I mentioned, that basically cover those things. I think the, the key to you know, trying to use terms like flexible and rapid with also having specific uh, targets for schedule, scope, and cost, mm -hmm. the key to resolving those two things is in managing scope at the detailed level as these user stories are refined. We the, the last podcast I did with you talked about uh, a mechanism we had for prioritizing and ranking um, user stories as we're going through a project um, for managing scope at a very detailed level. And it turns out that is the key thing that allows us to, you know, delight a customer with where we end up in a project, 
uh, while at the same time being flexible and delivering according to a budget that we've agreed on up front. Um, it, it basically relies on the idea of trading off high priority items that, that have to be supported with a project budget uh, by deferring or eliminating things that may not be very high priority. Mm-hmm. So we, we rarely, if ever, have a situation where we have a project change request uh, to, to budget or schedule um, based on this approach. And I've been just um, with some of the uh, projects that we've been doing especially with some of the migration work and things like that, we've, um, we've been taking the strategy of, you know, how do we get the, uh, enough details up front before we, you know, write a, a plan for how we're going to do, I'll use migrations as, as an example. So we sort of, we've broken it up into, you know, we're going to go do this workshop, which is a, you know, sort of a fixed price. You get this out of the workshop and then, out of that comes the plan for all of this, and the and the the the, the idea with that is is that sometimes you can, we 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 can't get all of the details during the sales cycle, and it takes a little bit more for us to sit down with them and make dig in a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. But they may not it's they may not want to they want to have a sort of like a fixed cost around that, and they want to know you know hey we're going to go through this exercise here. You're going to get this out of it. It's going to cost this a much, but then out of that, we're going to get a not to exceed budget for us to go after for the rest of the project. Um, I'd love to say that everybody buys off on this because typically what ends up happening is folks say, okay, that's great. Before I fork out the 10K for the workshop, uh, I need to know what the overall ROM estimate is for the project. Are we talking right. $50,000, $100,000? Because I'm not going to do the 10K workshop and get to the end of it. And you guys tell me it's a million dollars and I have a budget for 100000 You know, I can't, I'm not, that's, I'm not going to waste my time doing that. Um, but, you know, it's, it seems it's, it's a very, like working with Bruce, we work very early on with trying to capture a lot of these details. And for some engagements, doing it like that two-step where we have a workshop that's a fixed price and then the rest of the project is more of a, you know, it's almost like I see them buying um, a team for a series of sprints to hit off a certain number of um, story points. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be flexible as what we deliver, you know, things are going to change. But and in the end, you're going to have to make some decisions about where to s- spend the money on the story points. But, you know, mm-hmm. giving that flexibility in the project, I think that... Really, you know, I do a lot of the customer satisfaction surveys, and overall, the the process that we use, even more than the technology, um, is 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 brought up time and time again as is their favorite part of the project. Yeah, I I didn't mention this, Danny, earlier, but you know, one of the things we do have some tools that we've developed internally uh-huh. to help us manage, you know, pulling together the, the you know the user stories, the product backlog the release planning discussions. We, we have some tools that we use to, to manage all that, and it, it allows us to provide a very concise way of communicating an estimate back to a customer. You know, a lot of times you'll get, um, you know, somebody that, that really is having a hard time understanding the motivation for the cost for a project. Yep. And this provides a very clear kind of modular way for them to understand that. And if they want to influence it, uh, you know, start start tweaking it and nice. we'll, we'll work with them. Anything before we wrap up here? Well, I guess um, to, to be fair and put this conversation in context, what, what we're talking about here, first of all, I know it was very high level and, and it's very much 
uh, sort of works great with our small and medium projects. Mm -hmm. There, you know, there are other approaches and uh, techniques that we would use for very large projects. That's that's probably going to be for another uh, another podcast. But mm -hmm. you know, as an example, a lot of times with large enterprises, they they have a waterfall overall, a waterfall kind of program management approach. And they may have uh, certain artifacts or documents, maybe related to requirements that we have to provide. When we get in those situations, we we will modify this process a little bit. Like you mentioned before, you talk about the idea of a workshop. Sometimes we'll even have sprints that are geared towards generating, you know, baseline artifacts that are required for their process. Mm -hmm. But uh, we can. We can talk about that exciting topic in another podcast. I could just see you writing those up, the, the documents up as user stories, as a overbearing <laughs> yeah. product owner. I require, you know, I want uh, yeah. these documents to be done. Why? Because I need this. My boss what? says so. Because my boss says so. Because because <laughs> right. we've always done it this way. Because yeah, whatever reasons. But yeah, I guess we can just write those up as user stories and, and have some obnoxious estimate towards yeah. them. Yeah, and you know we we. We laugh about it, but but you know we, the people that we work with, really appreciate this kind of flexibility. Mm -hmm. But they, a lot of times, they can't control that process. Yes, yeah. and we have to support them in that. Yeah. So we Absolutely. understand that. Great job with this topic, Bob. I really appreciate you t taking the time to come in here and do this. And uh, I just continue to hear great things on projects uh, that you're leading up. And so thank you so much for doing an excellent job day in day out. Thank you. I appreciate it, Dan. Thank you everybody for listening, and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye-bye.